Well, thank you again for the invite. It's good to be back with you, back among my friends here in Stillwater. Would you please turn with me to Psalm 106? Uh, just as you're doing that, I, can I wave a couple of items at you that are on the table? And there, indeed, there are many, many more. Um, I know many of you are familiar with our work and you've already received literature like this. Uh, but if you haven't, uh, this is a good summary card of the work that we do in, in CWI North America uh, in our ministry to the Jewish people. Indeed, it identifies three areas uh, that I presented at the, uh, at the Sunday School Hour uh, pertaining to the opportunity that we have here in the U.S. with an American Jewish mission field. Uh, and then I also made reference to a, a course of 20 lectures, 20 sermons, really. I, I've been told I can't lecture. I just give sermons. So I think that's, uh, you know, sometimes I've even been asked to give lectures and people thank me for the sermon. It's just the preacher in me. Um, but I don't know whether they're lectures or sermons, but uh, they're there for uh, the church's edification and stimulation uh, towards uh, Jewish mission uh, and even engagement in Jewish mission. So the Awakening the Conscience course, it, it comes from indeed um, a quotation. I'll, I'll just, forgive me, I'll take a moment or two just to read that. But um, one of the general secretaries of this ministry back in the 1940s, 1930s and 40s, writing on the 100th anniversary of the ministry, um, he said that the founders of our society felt that a twofold task was committed to them. Their first and greatest concern was to seek to present Christ to the Jewish people that they might feel his infinite attraction. And the second was to awaken the conscience of the Christian church to the long-neglected duty of Israel's evangelization. Uh, and as I shared earlier, in a similar way, we do those two things. We, um, our first and greatest concern is to bring Christ to uh, the Jewish people with frontline missionaries. But the second is awakening the conscience of the Christian church to, in his words, the neglected duty of Israel's evangelization. And this has been kind of our attempt to awaken the conscience, the AC course. So those things are there. Um, as we turn to Psalm 106, I'm, I'm mindful that sometimes I've gone to churches and uh, they, they say to me, oh, you're bringing another psalm. It seems as if I'm always preaching on the Psalms, but maybe you guys want to make me an RP before I die. I think maybe it's something like that. Um, I love the Psalms, um, and I think they're 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 rich in um, in the expression of the heart as an individual, and then they're rich in pastoral. But they're also historically rich and theologically rich, uh, pertaining to the ancient people, God's covenant with them, um, and his, even his restoration of them. So I, I want to read the whole of the uh, Psalm 106. It is a lengthy psalm. Please forgive me, but I'm in good company of those who love the psalms. So uh, it should be no hardship for us to read uh, together the whole of the psalm. Let us hear the word of God. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice and who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, 
When you show favor to your people, help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through, the de- as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened and the plague was stayed. And that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry 
For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I've entitled the the sermon, Identity Crisis. And I think as you see from uh, our reading through, uh, there have been many times when Israel really simply forgot their identity as the covenant people of God. I don't know if you're like me, but at the start of every year, I set out a, a, a pile of books that I plan to work through during the year. Uh, and uh, it's, it's quite a, a sizable amount of books that I hope, and, and it gets added to as the, as the year progresses. But um, I've been reading a little on some themes that are very contemporary. And I I know we're not driven by contemporary culture, but we need to be aware, perhaps, of contemporary culture. So I've been reading on CRT, uh, which uh, you should know is critical race theory. I've been reading um, I've been reading Carl Truman's book on identity on 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 the uh, on the modern self. Excellent book. It's a heavy read. It's a slow read, but um, I, I've been reading that. Uh, and then I've also been reading Joel Beakey's uh, Volume Two, Systematic Theology, which deals with anthropology uh, on man and the man uh, Christ. And I've only started reading that. I commend that one to you. It's it's. Again, very devotional. It's 1,300 pages of systematic. Seems daunting. Uh, but I plan to read like 10 pages a day. It's warm. It, it's good for the soul. But with all of that reading, you might say, well, I, I, I think, Stephen, you need a lot of prayer. And uh, I think that you need some ibuprofen as well. So, okay, I probably do. Um, but it's interesting, as I gathered the various books and I tend to read three or four at a, at a go, so they're all kind of in, in tandem. But the, the first page of Beakey's 1,300 pages says this, Much of the confusion of our age arises from false anthropologies. And he points out that Jesus not only said, I am, but he also said, ye are. In other words, Jesus knew what was in a man. And our society, our world is is fascinated with who I am, identity, the id, or the preferred pronoun. The problem is we are dealing with a culture and society that really doesn't know who he is, what he is, whether you're a man or a woman. But my identity and my perceived identity trumps everything else. My projections, my self-chosen identity is given that divine status. It's an identity crisis. And in reality, that self-projection is diabolically dangerous. 
What has all this got to do with Jewish mission? Well, Jewish liberal thought is something that we need to interact with in Jewish mission. I was amazed. I, I said earlier about my uh, interaction contact with Mitch, uh, Mitch and his father, 97-year-old Jewish atheist. I was amazed at talking with him that he is okay with his grandson identifying as a girl, whatever makes her happy. Yes, Mitch's son identifies as a girl. Please pray for our brother. But what is stunning is that a 97-year-old man should be taken up with the contemporary cultural liberal thought to say that's okay, whatever makes her happy. The societal confusion as to who we are, not confined to the Jewish world, but it's, it's there in the Jewish world. Most people are, 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 most Jewish people are liberal, so we need to, to be readying our answers. And I think scripture has the answer, the ultimate answer, of course. The loss of identity, the identity crisis, it's not a new problem. The psalmist came across it. And the psalmist sought to affirm the reality. Who you are, Jewish people. The summons to remember was never far away from those that were given the oracles of God to speak to the ancient covenant people. Remember, remember. And so we're turning to Psalm 106 to see some of the dangers just. And, I, and, and it's, it's a long psalm, as you know, so we'll only be dipping in, uh, but making some application regarding forgotten identity. Forgotten identity by the Jewish world, but also by the church, and maybe even by us as individuals. And so we'll be making that application under those two or three areas as well. Now, it ultimately brings forth a covenantal cry, as you see right at the end, and we're going to sing the, the concluding uh, verses uh, as we close. It ends happily, but uh, it's not so happy as we progress through. So the first point I want to raise uh, is that of defiance and denial. Defiance and denial. The psalmist, and again, we've, we've read it also. You know the, the story, you know the context. He looks back on Israel's history. He looks back on, on all those days in Egypt and the Red Sea and the wilderness, and he's mindful of the mighty deeds of God. You read that in, in verse 2, the mighty deeds of the Lord. And uh, quickly jumping then on down to verses 9 to 12, their initial response was good. He rebuked the sea, it became dry, he saved them, the waters covered the adversaries, they believed his words, verse 12, they sang his praise, praise the Lord. And then in verse 30, or verse 13, they soon forgot his words. Identity crisis in the Jewish community. But not just an identity crisis, this is a defiance, this is a deliberate, defiant Denial. They forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. It was really a refusal to wait on the Lord. A refusal to, to wait for the wisdom of the Lord. A, a refusal to wait on the oracles or even attend to the oracles of God. They did not wait for his counsel. Matthew Henry writes of the strange stupidity of Israel, having seen God's favors 
and wonders. There is a defiant denial of identity that God is God and we are your people. You did these things, the Lord. They were mighty deeds. We praised you. But they soon forgot. They canceled the mighty deeds of the Lord. Cancel culture was alive and well back then. Defiance and denial. Point of application. The sin of forgetfulness is rampant. The sin of forgetfulness is rampant. It's rampant in the Jewish world. It's a stunning statistic that the overwhelming majority of Jewish people are either atheists or agnostic. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I love this work. I love the ancient people. I love the Jewish people. I want them to be saved. My heart's desire, Romans 10. I'm, I'm not parading Jewish sin. I'll get on to our own in a moment. But when we read these things, and then we also compare it to today, and the statistic and the mindset of Jewish people today, it, it's a tearful reality. The defiance and denial of Jewish people today as to their God and the mighty deeds of the Lord. You know, the, the, these verses prior, they're, they talk about spiritual prosperity and, and gladness and, and glorying in the divine inheritance of Israel. We want to see Israel restored. We want to see the church having this burden. Because, my Jewish friends, this ought not to be. You, you ought not to have canceled your God. And Lord, this ought not to be. You're chosen, Lord. They're the natural branders. Graft them in again, Lord. I remember one time using an illustration that... Uh, of someone having their finger rather gruesomely cut off. But what did they do? They didn't simply leave the finger there and say, well, I've got four others or five others or whatever. I've got ten, nine others. No, they, 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 they lift the finger up and they bring it to the master surgeon. And they say, please, can, can you do the master surgery back on again? Well, that's what we should be thinking of our Jewish friends. They're broken off. They're cut off. Oh, those stubborn rebel Jewish people. They're broken off branches. Bring them to the master surgeon. Have that longing that was there in the psalmist and indeed then in the apostle. This ought not to be. These are your inheritance, Lord. The cut off branches. Graft them in again. Now please don't misunderstand. There's no back door into heaven for there's only one way. This is not the chosen people that get into heaven no matter what. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. So we must bring the gospel. They must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. They must trust in their Messiah. But the sin of forgetfulness is rampant in the Jewish world. So we want to remind them of their identity, of who they really are. But then the sin of forgetfulness is also rampant in the church, is it not? Are we any better? Have you read a little bit of church history recently? You know, sometimes I get the impression that, that people think that while well, the Jewish people, they really messed up, but the church did really well instead. You know, the Gentiles, they believed and they did really well. Have you read church history? What happened in the thousand years when the gospel was all but lost? More than a thousand years. 
What happened in those years of rampant Romanism? The forgetfulness was very, very evident. The Jewish believers of the first century did their job and brought the message to the nations. We we sang it in Psalm 67. They brought the message to the nations. But how did those Christianized nations deal with the oracles of God? Well, what happened was we started to pray to dead saints. We started to call Mary joint mediatrix. We started to put the word of God on a par with, with tradition. Thankfully, the Lord came and revived and reformed. But then would we do any better? The reestablishment of the priesthood of all believers was not enough. Because then it became the pulpit of all believers. And certainly 20th century evangelicalism and no less 21st century evangelicalism, it's me and my Jesus. It's me and my faith. Me and Jesus movement began. They did not wait for his counsel, verse 13, because I got my own inner voice. The Lord said this to me. The Lord said that to me. I had a dream about this. How much has the modern church forgotten the word and the works of God? And we're taking it into our own hands to get us out of this mess. And, and, and so political activism peaks and prayer meetings wane. Yeah, the church needs to look in the mirror. Defiance and denial. Lord, you're, you're not really doing a good job. Let us help you out. And why is there so much talk about CRT? Why is social justice suddenly on the agenda of assemblies and associations? Why are we dealing, why, PCA, why are we dealing with revoice and side B Christianity? Because in the church, there is a rampant forgetfulness, a defiant denial of the mighty hand of God and the necessity of man to fall down before such a God instead of making his own gods. Tantamount to atheism. Now we can parade Jewish sin. Let's parade church sin. When the Jewish people in the 1940s saw God not delivering them, atheism became rampant. God cannot die just in the 20th century, but that was their belief. God left us in the fires of Auschwitz. And so the new commandment for the Jewish people from the 1940s onwards, and that's why there's so much rampant atheism and agnosticism. Well, God left us. We will do it ourselves. We will survive. You know, the, the Jewish people don't have 10 commandments. They have 613. The rabbis have charted it all out, 613 commandments. But in the 1940s, 614 came into being. Thou shalt survive. And they've done so by their own efforts, or at least so they think. But the Gentile church is doing the same, are we not? We need to right all the wrongs politically. And prayerlessness increases. Defiance and denial, the sin of forgetfulness. Well, let's move on. Secondly, we see deserts in the desert. Deserts in the desert. I had to Google it and I discovered that actually those two words are spelled exactly the same way. So if you're writing notes, I, I thought, was it D-E-S-S-S-E? No, no. D-E-S-E-R-T. D-E-S-E-R-T, apparently. The linguists will, will tell us that, but uh, deserts in the desert. You know, when we, when we have an identity crisis, when we forget, one of the worst things for God to do is actually to give us what we want. And that's what he did. 
he gave them what they asked for. Verses 14 and 15. They had a wanton craving. Put God to the test. He gave them what they asked. And then sent a wasting disease among them. And we read on, the just deserts in the desert. Disease and we read of earthquake and we read of fire and plague and destruction and and later they would be in a in, in a spiritual desert. They would be scattered among the Goyim nations. The deserts in the desert. Point of application. These deserts of God are instructive as well as punitive. Instructive as well as punitive. Again, you've read through the whole psalm with me. Let's look at it in the Jewish world. It is a lesson that we all need to learn, but the Jewish, our Jewish friends need to learn that their desert times are times of punishment, but also instruction. Now, Jewish belief and practice is not uniform, but there are many Jewish atheists who blame God. And I know that's a contradiction in terms. There are many who blame God for all the troubles in the world. And my colleague and I have had conversations on this. That the Jewish world, particularly in these COVID days, are, is filled with paranoia. His family, his friends, they're all terrified. Paranoia. Paranoia is normal in Jewish life, he tells me. Maybe it's just Brooklyn life. Paranoia is normal. But paranoia is normal, he said. But particularly snow now in these COVID times. They're frightened. They're terrified. And they're blaming God, even though they're atheists. Disease, plague, earthquake. What did the Jew, what was the Jewish response to the deserts in the desert? What was the Jewish response to the divine mighty deeds? The wake up call. What is our response? Impotent man. When God sends a pestilence and we don't have answers. The Jewish world, the Gentile world, needs to see the hand of God upon history. To see that God is sovereign over every molecule of the cosmos. Learn to know the times. Be those who know the times. The Jewish world needs to be instructed by desert times. And the church also. Has God given us our best life now. He gives them what they want. If God gives you your best life now, then be afraid. Be very afraid. If it's your best life now, then that's not so good in the, in the times to come. Wasting disease. No, 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 not just COVID. A wasting disease within the church of self-fulfillment. My fulfillment. Me and Jesus. Meeting my felt needs. I come to church so I can get my felt needs. Therapeutic deism is present in so many pulpits. God is my personal genie of the lamp. Oh, we can list so many things that God has given us. That we've asked for. As we wander in a spiritual desert church. And if he gives us our sinful thoughts have been asking. Then he sends a wasting disease. And the state of the church... It's not good. Bodie Balcom in his book says that there are fault lines. That's the title of the book. Fault lines appearing in the church. Carl Truman calls it cultural amnesia. 
the identity crisis within the church. We have forgotten who we are, what we are, what we are about, what we are to be doing. We're, we're all in the business of trying to be self-fulfilled. We're wasting in the desert, in the deserts of our own desires. And the psalmist would summon the Jewish people to wake up. And preacher would summon our people to wake up. Know your identity. Know who you are. You are not your own. Be instructed by the deserts in the desert. Maybe COVID years. Maybe wasting years within the downgrade of the church. I don't know where your place is personally at the moment, but... Can I apply it just for a moment personally? The desert place is a place to learn. It may be punitive. It may have to be punitive. But it's certainly instructive. 18 years ago, I suffered stress exhaustion. I was off work for nine weeks. I didn't know if I was ever going to preach again. It was a desert place. I've been there. I can share it with you. I've got the t-shirt, been on the medication, etc., etc. It's a place of learning, though. It's a place of instruction. It's a, it's a place of trust. It's a place of dependence. a place that I cannot do anything, Lord. I will stock the shelves in the local grocery store if that's what you want me to do. But I love to preach. And two or three months later, He brought me back to the place of preaching. But the desert place is a place of instruction. And as we contemplate unbelieving Israel with tears, and as we contemplate the downgrade of the church and substantial Christianity and theological rigor, when we see that just slip sliding away, are we learning reliance, trust, even as we get our just desserts in the desert. Third point, we really, I'm really only dipping into these verses. I know you'll love to sing them, and maybe you'll remember some of these thoughts as you sing them. But third point, diabolical de- desecration. There's even one more area of declension, even worse, that we read off. Diabolical desecration. He mentions the calf. In verse 19, he mentions that exchange, verse 20, the the diabolical exchange. They exchanged the glory of God for an image of an ox that eats grass. Forgetfulness of your identity is one thing. Going right over to the dark side is another. They exchanged, they forgot, they despised, verse 24. They murmured, verse 25. They yoked themselves to the bale of Peor. They ate sacrifices to the dead. This covenant people, this people that were his, I am your husband, he's saying. And they're eating sacrifices to the dead. A diabolical desecration. This chosen people engage in an orgy of necromancy and child sacrifices to demons. This desecration is shamelessly visible. 
within the covenantal people. I just want to even pose the question by way of application. Is the enemy within the covenantal community? The short answer is yes. Even though it's not always very clear, but a couple of examples. Again, it has to be brief. But within the the Jewish covenant community today, there's a huge interest in Kabbalah. If you haven't heard about Kabbalah, you can Google it and you can find uh, that uh, it's the cool thing. Madonna will have a certain tattoo with a Kabbalistic uh, uh, influence. Kabbalah. It's really a mishmash of, of New Age mysticism with Jewish tradition and superstition. Did you know you can get cosmic energy from the Hebrew alphabet? I should, I should lift out a few Hebrew books there for you, and you'll, you'll get some cosmic energy from the Hebrew alphabet. Or if, if you wear a red string, that'll keep you safe from the evil eye. This is, this is Jewish mysticism today. You think that they're not doing what, what, what they did in Psalm 106? They have, they have exchanged, and they, they're giving themselves over to all mind, all manner of, of superstitious, diabolical things. They mixed with the nations. Well, again, yes. They served their idols far from seeking the one true and living covenanted God. They exchange. Jewish belief and practice today is, is really a pick and mix religion. It's 57 varieties. You choose whatever we want. How you want your coffee strong, you can take it strong. You want it weak, you can take it weak. Now again, please don't misunderstand. This is not parading Jewish sin. This is setting before us the reality of the Jewish world today so that we will weep. It should not be. But then Romans 11 says, Church... Do not be arrogant over the natural branches. Hmm. I've seen a lot of arrogance in the church. And I've seen a lot of arrogance over the Jewish people. Oh, those, those Jewish people, God's done with them because they really messed up. If God is done with them because they messed up, then I need to be very afraid. But I'm a Calvinist. That doesn't excuse sin, but it does mean that he who began a work will bring me through the deserts and wasting diseases and bring me safely home because he will do it. If Jewish people messed up and God's done with them, well then we need to be afraid of our understanding of the perseverance of the saints. But yes, the Jewish people are in a mess, so do not be arrogant, but rather weep. But then look at ourselves as well. Church liberalism, which really now is, is, is evangelicalism. <laughs> the jello is there in evangelicalism. And it used to be just hardcore German liberalism. It's not that anymore. It's within the camp. It's the enemy within the covenantal community. When you've got clergy, and again, I know this is in um, heretical denominations, but when you've got clergy engaging in pedophilia or trying to sanctify homosexuality, 
or simply cover up perversion to desecration of holy offices. Now, when presidents and princes engage in immorality, be sure your sin will find you out, and some of that it seems to be happening. But they make no pretense of a high and holy calling, except the high uh, calling of the image that they present and all the virtue signaling that they give off. But when evangelical churches condone perversion, side B, Christianity, revoice, celibate, same tracks, attraction, and all that, or when some pastors condone the sacrifices to Molech, the god of abortion, then that church or that pastor is engaging in a diabolical desecration, and God is not mocked. Our secret sins are in the light of his presence. How dare you exchange, forget, murmur, despise the rubbishing of God in the identity crisis in the modern evangelical church. It will meet with Romans one consequences. God will give them over. God will give them over. God will give them up. The diabolical desecration of man's biblical scriptural chief end, man's chief end to glorify God, enjoy him forever. But the diabolical exchange and the desecration of that in favor of evangelical self-fulfillment and your best life now, these will have awful consequences. The downgrade, the decline, the weakness. The church is suffering an identity crisis. This is not something we can read Psalm 106 and say it's all about the Jewish people. Church, it goes soft on personal morality, soft on godliness, soft on your walk and your talk. Without holiness, no man, no preacher shall see the Lord. Your church affiliation will not save you. My preaching for 35 years will not save me. My theological precision will not save me. You know, sometimes... Our southern niceness. You know, in Northern Ireland, we call a spade a shovel. <laughs> we, we, we almost go one stage further. Uh, we, we have that Scots-Irish bluntness. Uh, southern niceness. I, I, I struggle with that. It prevents us asking hard questions. I got a phone call literally just this week from someone who had been living a lie. He was a Jewish believer. He had professed faith, lived many years as a Jewish believer within the professing community of believers of the church. He told me he'd been leading a double life. But now he has truly come to faith, and, and he seems to be solid and substantial. He's reading the Puritans. He's quoting the Puritans. He's aspiring unto godliness. Easy believism is out there. It's alive and well, and it's alive and well in a lot of churches. In the jellied evangelicalism. An enemy within. Yoking yourself to the bale of Peor is not just a chapter in Jewish history. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Test yourself. What is your identity? What is your, what is your real identity? Well, we must conclude. Final point, and that is the cry from captivity. The cry from captivity. 
I was tempted to entitle this point a covenantal cry from captivity, but I thought it was too much alliteration. So, uh, but uh, hey, I just did it. Okay, covenantal cry from captivity, if you want. Despite the nature of the decline, despite the nature of the exchange and the desecration, the Lord was merciful. Read it. We're going to sing it. What a statement of covenantal grace in verses 44 to 46. He looked on their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Spurgeon's Treasury of David, I'm sure many, many of you have got it. If you haven't, get Spurgeon on, uh, on the Psalms. It's a, it's a great resource. He says this, the covenant is the sure foundation of mercy. And when the whole fabric of outward grace manifested in the saints lies in ruins, when you're in the desert, this is the fundamental basis of love which is never moved. And upon it, the Lord proceeds again to build a new structure of grace. And what, what Spurgeon is really saying about Israel, which is appropriate to any covenanted individual, when your life is a mess, when your life is a broken mess, even by your own defiance and your desecration and those just deserts, which are punitive, but they're instructive, to bring you through, to make you depend, to make you when you're laid low, to say, I've got nothing, Lord, but you. What is your only hope in life and death? Heidelberg. He never fails. And so final point of application, the solution to the identity crisis is an affirmation of the divine identity. And so part of our conversation with our Jewish friends is, what is your identity, my Jewish friend? Who are you? And why are you still here? When we're asking you to pray for our conversations, think of those questions, those hard questions that we'll be having, that Mitch will be having on the street. What is Jewish identity today? Well, biblically, we see it. And again, I'm speaking to my Reformed brethren. Biblically, we speak it, see it as, as their broken branches. We see it as a cut-off finger that we're going to take to the master surgeon. They are broken mess, natural branches that God is able to graft in again. Pray it so. What is your identity, Christian? Broken Christian. Fallen Christian. You are not your own, not your own identity. You were bought. And instead of forgetting, let's learn in the desert and put away the diabolical desecration within your life. Put to death the mortification of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh by the spirit. Kill it or it will be killing you and be who you covenantally are. Finally, verse 46. And again, I could take a whole sermon on this, but I'll not. Maybe sometime I will. He caused them to be pitied, the Jewish people, by all those who held them captive, Gentiles. Isn't that an interesting one? That his captors, that their captors rather, pitied the Jewish people. Do you pity the natural branches? 
Do you say thank you, Jewish people, for giving me the book and the man and the Messiah and the message and the ministry? It's all Jewish. Thank you for giving us that, and, and we'll get on with our life. Do you pity them? Because what you have been given is Jewish? Do you pity the natural, natural branches who are loved on account of the patriarchs? Romans eleven twenty eight. Pray for the Jewish captives. I know it's a hymn, but permit me. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. I say to churches who are singing that hymn, do you really know what you're singing about? You know, it's, it's captive Israel. O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. So let us pray, Lord, that they might see what they are. And by God's redeeming grace, become what they should be. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gospel of God. We thank you that that gospel came forth from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even unto the ends of the earth. That gospel came to our heart by your grace, by your mercy. We were raised from being dead in our trespasses and sins. So by the mercy we have received, may they also receive mercy. May we live covenantally. May we live in that light. May we express that to all we meet, to Jew and to Gentile. Lord, help us to know who we are and to know who we are becoming and to seek and follow after, that we may be like him, and that we may see him as he is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We conclude our praise in the singing Psalm 106, in the uh, Psalm 106F, Psalm 106F, which are, are the concluding verses as reference. God put his tribes in foreign lands.